with so many podcasts out there, shows can get lost in the shuffle. That's why we implore you to check out Too Many Captains. You can find us at a moviepodcast.com. Five unique takes on Hollywood movies and culture. Find us on Twitter at It's a Film Podcast. Check our intellectual deep dives into theatrical films. Find us on Instagram at Too Many Captains Productions. Unique takes on soundtracks. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Too Many Captains Productions. Find us at a moviepodcast.com on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Play. And now, here comes a new episode of Collateral Cinema. Tonight on the Director's Cut, we celebrate 20 years of the influential animated programming block Adult Swim. We check out the original broadcast lineup, and we also touch upon some other notable moments and cultural impacts in Adult Swim history. So stick around, folks. The show starts right now. Gentlemen, behold! Welcome to Collateral Cinema Director's Cut. I'm Bo Maddox. And, and I'm Ashley Chancellor. And we're podcasting straight from somewhere in <laughs> South Texas. <laughs> <laughs> and yes, we are a 420 friendly podcast. We're not going to continue that bit and everything. But yeah, welcome to Collateral Cinema Director's Cut, everybody. How's it going, Ash? Oh, it's going great, man. This is the second time we're recording this, but... Yeah, we had some technical <laughs> difficulties that just kind of, you know, fucked us over a little bit, but, you know... Fuck it, I'm here for it. Hey, whatever, you know? And on this special episode of The Director's Cut, we are diving into 20 years of Adult Swim. On September 2nd, 2001, that's when the original broadcast was actually... Uh, originally shown, of course. But before that, they had some actual stealth debuts. I, it was, uh, I think that it was on uh, Christmas Eve and New Year's Eve, I mm -hmm. believe. And uh, they showed all of the original shows, you know, Home Movies, Aqua Teen, Harvey Birdman, Brack Show, C-Lab, and Cowboy Bebop. We're going to actually talk about those shows and about the first seasons of each show here in a little bit, but... Like I said, it was originally aired on these just random, uh, these random broadcasts on uh, New Year's Eve and on Christmas Eve. Mm -hmm. And I don't really remember seeing those broadcasts, but I kind of remember the original broadcast, you know, when it was initially on, on September 2nd. Yeah. Uh, what, when was the first time you actually started watching Adult Swim? Um, you know, I didn't watch a lot of cable growing up. We didn't usually pay for that. Yeah. But um, I had seen some shows here and there. I, I definitely had watched some of the anime late at night, you know, like Bleach. Um, I'm trying to think of the first, like, Adult Swim show I ever watched. Is it Aqua Teen Hunger Force? I mean, that's usually a starting point for a lot of people. Probably, yeah. Yeah. But, um, 
But yeah, no, uh, Adult Swim, I mean, I've been binging the hell out of it, you know, recently, you know, kind of going back and watching some of the early shows, you yeah. know, like the ones that you mentioned. Uh, and the first thing that they ever that ever did come out was Space Ghost Coast to Coast, right? Yeah, Space Ghost Coast to Coast is pretty much the er example of an Adult Swim show. It was initially modeled to be like a late night talk show. But with Space Ghost, Moltar, and Zorak as the host, the band leader, and the producer, respectively. Yeah. And they would actually have actual celebrity guests come on the show and sit down with George Lowe or with the writers or whatever, and they would actually do these interview segments, most of which, at least early on, were improvised quite a there bit. There definitely is a very improvisational quality to it. Um Especially, like you said, in the early episodes, I mean, we were watching, you know, like season one and yeah. started kind of getting into season two. But um, I know that like there were even moments sometimes where the uh, the guests wouldn't even know the full nature of the program they were on or, you know, say like in, po in, in uh, post they'd go in and they'd like swap out some of the lines and so the questions and answers didn't even quite make sense. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's so perfect how they executed that. And it was very experimental for its time. I mean, very. they haven't had this weird crossover where, you know, animated characters are interviewing real life people. And, and the humor is just so non sequitur, you know, and it, it, it's very uh, stream of consciousness in, in terms of, you know, what exists as a narrative. It's, it's great. I fucking love it. <laughs> oh, it's amazing. And of course, it has stalwart voice acting performances by none other than George Lowe and C. Martin Croker. It's pretty much just two people playing the main cast. God, I would love to see uh, Space Ghost Coast to Coast come back. But unfortunately, with C. Martin Croker having oh, yeah. passed away, I just... I just I, you can't do it without him, right? No, you can't. I mean, you can't even do Brack Show now because, you know, Zorak know. is such an integral character and I don't really see anyone else. Maybe Dave Willis could probably do it, but I, I don't know. Okay, but hear me out. Live action, Willem Dafoe. That would be perfect. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I guess Willem Dafoe is who you go to whenever you have some, you know, evil kind of raspy voiced villain or whatever. Exactly. You know, I mean, he played Ryuk. So he actually did a damn good job as Ryuk. That's like the one good thing to come out of the, the Netflix film, I guess. I never really saw it anyways. You know, I, I liked it for what it is. I mean, I, it was an interesting concept. It just doesn't hold a candy to, to a candy. doesn't hold a candle <laughs> to the anime and a manga. But yeah. anyway, um, I mean, anime was even kind of part of uh, Adult Swim's Content. Actually, it's pretty much integral to Adult Swim. A lot of the original programming that came out on Adult Swim were early Toonami shows like Gundam Wing, Tenshi Muyo, Gundam 0080, and they also had like Outlaw Star and another anime that we're going to talk about later on, you know, which is getting a big revival. And, you know, it's funny too because, uh, Toonami, you know, at one point was a Cartoon Network block. And I remember, you know, watching, say, like Naruto on Toonami on the, cart on the Cartoon Network block. And then like Adult Swim would show Bleach. And it's weird because, I mean, those two shows to me are very similar. Like the maturity and, and, and graphic content at either one is, is they're about the same. So it's weird how like half their anime, they just decided to go, ah, we'll, we'll censor it so that kids can watch it. And the other half, they're like, ah, fuck it. 
this is actually meant for adults. Well, yeah, there's a reason why they put Shippuden on Toonami after Adult Swim acquired it. I mean, that's true. And that, Shippuden, I think, even kind of takes that notch up even a little bit more because at least the characters are more aged. Yeah. But yeah. anyway, we're going off on a tangent. Yeah, but I mean, it is important to note that anime is very much integral to Adult Swim's early history, you know, and it would go on to bring such anime as Death Note, Code Geass, Fuck yeah. uh, the Evangelion movies that have recently come out, the, the remake movies. And, uh, and Full Metal as well, right? Full Metal Alchemist, both versions. Both versions. You know, I'm partial to Brotherhood, of course, but y you have to kind of, there is this nostalgic quality to the original Full Metal Alchemist anime. Yeah, there is. Especially, I guess, if you grew up on it with, uh, with Adult Swim. Yeah, definitely. To me, that's another integral Adult Swim show. And... <clears throat> But yeah, I remember many, many great memories of watching just Bleach like Fuck late yeah. at night, you know, and then they would show like Blood Plus, which is a great, great anime. I highly recommend that. Seen that one, I think. Oh, Blood Plus is awesome. Saya, she, she's badass. But I Does mean, she love cheap thrills. I don't know. <laughs> oh, God, don't bring her up. God damn it. <laughs> but the original uh, Adult Swim comedy block was more just a lot of older, like, uh, like the Tex Avery show and O Canada and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And then they would also show Samurai Jack and then Space Ghost Coast to Coast. But like I said earlier, eventually they did the stealth premieres of all the, you know, the, the iconic Adult Swim shows. Yeah. And that was done on Christmas Eve. And I kind of remember the New Year's Eve uh, broadcast. Yeah. yeah they, they actually brought that back to actually... Uh, introduce some of the other characters that they were developing. Like that was probably the first time we saw Squidbillies, mm. and also Sharko from C Lab. But let's go ahead and get into that original lineup. You know, we talked about Space Ghost Coast to Coast. And we talked about some of the anime that was debuted, except for one, which once again, that's going to be we're saving that for last. We're saving <laughs> it for last. Yeah, I mean, Space Ghost itself is just so integral to the Adult Swim formula. I think the the experimental nature of the humor and and sometimes improvisational quality to it uh, really set the tone for everything else. In fact, all the other shows ended up, you know, or most of the other ones were uh, were spinoffs of Space Ghost Coast to Coast. So yeah, I mean that's something I was going to remark on. It's like Space Ghost Coast to Coast literally laid the foundation for Adult Swim, like period. Yeah, like everything that it would become is pretty much just laid out in those first two or three seasons of Space Ghost Coast to Coast. And the one thing it has in common with some of the shows that aren't even necessarily spinoffs like C-Lab 2021 is they would take these older Hanna-Barbera Barbera properties. Yeah. You know, characters that uh, weren't necessarily as popular as, say, like Scooby-Doo or the Super Friends or... Um, the the Flintstones or the Jetsons, but who all, who all eventually make an appearance on Adult Swim via a certain show we're going to talk about here in a little bit. They do, they do. But yeah, <laughs> they would they would mostly you know form these around I think some of the more obscure shows because um, I don't know if anybody really was aware of like Space Ghost or or Birdman as as much as yeah. But going off of that, the first and most notable show that came from Space Ghost Coast to Coast is, of course, the legendary, the iconic Aqua Teen Hunger Force. Oh, uh, we have it on right now. <laughs> we have it on right now. We have uh, Volume 3 playing right now. And what else can really be said about this show that hasn't been said? I mean, there's 
really no continuity to it. I mean, None. it's one hundred percent character driven, which is kind of a it's kind of a motif with Adult Swim shows. Not only do multiple characters die and just never show up again, but they 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 don't they can't even get like any consistency between origin stories or how their superpowers work. Well, it's fucking fantastic. My theory, my 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 headcanon is that what we're watching is, and maybe it's because I've been watching a lot of Marvel's What If and kind of getting to this multiverse shit. But yeah, yeah. What, what if every episode is just a separate timeline? All right, where, where, where you know some of the past events are still referenced that way as they often do, yeah, but maybe not in the same way. So the you know certain characters didn't die. That that's my theory. That's my head. Cannon. Well, you need to kind of get into some of the later seasons and also check out the movie, and you'll kind of see some things kind of explained a little bit. Okay. I mean, the movie Aqua Teen Hunger Force colon movie film for theaters. I saw that first run, very first day it came out, and. That actually explains a lot about the origin of the Aqua Teens. All, all I'm really going to say there is that it's very much connected to Dr. Weird. Right. Yeah, their their background is 100% connected to Dr. Weird, actually. I think that's fairly obvious. Every episode opens up with Dr. Weird, and at first it seemed like the uh, monster of the week would always be connected to, you know, whatever he to was Dr. doing. Weird, yeah, exactly. But then later on, he just kind of has these completely unconnected... Uh, appearances at the beginning but that's part of the tradition <laughs> yeah every now and again he'll bleed over into the aqua teen storyline but it's not really that often and it doesn't really get really explored that much until the movie so that's funny because i just assume they were connected but you're right like they don't really connect when you're just watching the show it just seems like two completely unrelated segments Except for the fact that a lot of, you know, like I said, the monsters of the week tend to come from whatever Dr. Weird's doing. That. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and for a while, they stopped showing uh, Dr. Weird and they started showing this little, th this is where there was some continuity, this uh, broken up pilot of a show they had called Space Kataz, and that was the Plutonians, Oogle, and Emery versus the Moonanites, Ignignot and Earth. Oh, fuck yeah. And it is some of the funniest shit ever, man. Like, you'll love this fucking uh, little series, and you kind of wish that they made it into a show. It would have actually been perfect. And I think that you can watch the whole thing on, like, the fourth volume of the DVD releases. Oh, so, fuck yeah. We will kick your asses. And, one, and before we move on, we also need to note on the episode of Space Goes Coast to Coast that actually brought us Aqua Teen Hunger Force. It's called uh, Baffler Meal. Yeah. And it's an interesting mix of live action and music, like raucous rock music and the Aqua Teens. And they're, they're pretty much completely different characters except for maybe Meatwad. Meatwad is pretty much the only one that actually kind of transfers it, over to the, to the original show. Yeah, that's drawn the same and even acts the same. And has, has the same, the same, has voice. same voice and everything. Yeah, Shake, Shake actually has a Nick Knox voice, kind of. That's funny. And, and Frylock just has a very high-pitched voice. Yeah, yeah, I remember. I remember watching it and I was like, what the fuck? The, the, those aren't the Aqua Teens. What, I was nope, like, they're very, very different. That's them, yeah. But it's funny because even the personalities of some of the characters um, were a little bit different throughout some of the early episodes, except for, of course, Meatwad. Meatwad's always been the same. Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. <laughs> and if you get into the later seasons, you'll see, you know, like Shake will get even more sociopathic and even uh, Frylock starts kind of losing it here and there. So That's amazing. Yeah. But moving on, the next show that was directly um, spun off of... Space Ghost it was The Brack Show. 
And originally, the Brack Show started as more of a Cartoon Network show. So the first season has a very different tone from the second season. The first season yeah. is a lo- lot more childish. It has a, It's very, very silly. But in the second season, which is what I showed you, they, they have that silliness, but it gets darker and darker and darker. I mean, there, there's an episode where mom starts, like, killing off all the characters and, like, cannibalizing them. And then, <laughs> and then it, it turns out that that wasn't even mom. That was just uh, some uh, stand-in that she hired so that she can go out and just get away from everybody. Oh, fuck. <laughs> they, they, they managed to kill Zorak and fucking cook him and eat him. And, like, they're straight up, like, him and Zorak, him and Brack are just straight up eating him. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> But what's notable about this show is, of course, you know, this is C. Martin Croker and Andy Merrill uh, interacting with each other. Yeah. And if you know Space Ghost, they were, of course, originally villains on the show, and also they were uh, co-hosts. It's the one that's most truly a spinoff of Space Ghost Coast to Coast, and even seems to take place in the same continuity. It is the same continuity in the same universe, actually. Yeah. Space Ghost actually shows up in an episode... And he references the talk show, and he references Brack and Zorak being co-hosts of that talk show. And, of course, Mom and Dad, who we're going to get into Dad here in a little bit, like, they have no idea what the fuck he's talking about. So (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah. I think that might even be the very last episode. No kidding. Yeah, but they they had all kinds of interesting episodes. They had an episode where they were... Uh, tapped by a uh, Japanese conglomerate to make an advertisement, and it goes pretty much the way that you would think. It's totally weaved out. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and 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 fucking uh, Thundercles. Thundercles is great. He's he's voiced by Kerry Means, who is also the voice of Frylock, and he is just so matter of fact about everything. He's a robot, so he's just straight and to the point. He's he's just like you have less than five seconds to live. I wonder how will you spend them. i mean out of out of all of the shows brack show is probably my my least favorite but that doesn't take away from it at all but the 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 shining character with the brack show is of course dad voiced by george lowe and he is just so random and all over the place and he's he's pretty much like a communist cuban spy pretty much that's that's like my little headcanon is that he they is, make some not so subtle references. Lots not so subtle references to communism and everything, especially like you know Castro style communism. He's, he's a he's a comrade. He's comrade. He's but, comrade. Duh. But he is great comrade. He, he come to help us all. But yeah, he is the breakout character there. Brack is kind of okay, I think, and and Zorak is his evil is dialed up a lot more in this. Zorak is this show. is a much more interesting character to follow, I think, than Brack. I mean, Brack is is kind of you know he's Brack, it's whatever. He's he's like a kid, but yeah, Zorak is is just fucking like you said. The, I guess because it's his like off hours, you know, he's not on the the screen. We get to see a little bit of more real Zorak, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah, he's pretty malicious throughout this entire series. But yeah, this isn't one of the best of the original lineup, but it's something that's definitely necessary to watch. If you really want to get into the nuts and bolts of early Adult Swim, yeah, in general, it's like that's an important show. And that brings us to the next spinoff from Space Ghost Coast to Coast. 
And that's, of course, Harvey Birdman, attorney at law. That now, one you is really like this show, actually. This this one is probably my favorite out of the bunch, which is funny because uh, I think the other one that I really enjoyed binging was home movies. Yeah. But this one just really caught my eye. And I, it does definitely have uh, a lot more continuity than some of the other shows do. It seems to kind of uh, it, 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 it logically makes sense. Yeah. And I just love the setting of like taking these these superheroes and supervillains and, and they're sort of retired and, and they're washed out and, and they're in the courtroom together as attorney and prosecute, prosecutor. Like, yeah, and, and the villains are all the prosecutors and everything and the heroes yeah. are all the uh, defense attorneys. Yes, it's fucking great. I love it. <laughs> And, you know, you're you're uh, you're just kind of watching them like battle it out in the courtroom and they're sort of like staging this superhero versus supervillain thing there. And, and, and they're total like just total quacks. I mean, there's <laughs> fucking Reducto played by Stephen Colbert. Yeah. And, you know, and, and just various other zany villains. And we can't forget, of course, Men Talk the Mind Taker. <laughs> yeah. Men Talk the Mind Taker is amazing. I think, isn't he also voiced by Stephen Colbert, or am I thinking of someone else? Uh, Phil Kinsebin. Phil Kinsebin is, yeah, that's Stephen Colbert as well. He's an interesting character, too, which we'll talk about in a bit. But I like how you have these characters, you know, in the courtroom, and then, like, you have them in their, like, day-to-day lives where they're basically peers, colleagues, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, fucking uh, Bert, uh, Harvey is, is talking to, you know, uh, Reducto, in the the lunchroom or the break room and just yeah <laughs> they're just I mean, chilling talking about whatever or they'll or they'll go meet up in the bar later and <laughs> yeah and have a drink and everything and try to do a little more wheeling and dealing and every, and whatnot stay yeah. back I have a shrink ray I will make you travel sized <laughs> <laughs> oh man I, I just wait until you get to X the Eliminator that is a great character he's oh a, he is amazing oh, he's a, the total X, ultimate fanboy yeah he is he's a he's a straight up Space Ghost fanboy and he's just trying to get the crest of, of gotta Birdman. hit the crest I like the episode where he gets the crest <laughs> Yeah, but he doesn't know what to do with he it. Doesn't, like, like he loses his purpose. His life is completely better. He's doing good and shit. And then, like, he just, like, he's like, I don't know what else to do. <laughs> yeah, right. And, and just Harvey is great. I mean, in the early episodes, I think he was definitely portrayed a lot more competently. And then over time, you know, he's just sort of uh, lampooned. And it, it doesn't seem like he wins nearly any of his cases. <laughs> Like, none of them, honestly. Well, the f- early episodes, actually, he did keep winning. Like, it yeah. was, like, the first, like, five episodes or so. But he, he gets noticed. less and less competent as the series goes on. And I honestly. like how in season one, you know, like, they, they end off with Harvey straight up spending five years in jail just out of this fucking prank that they pulled on him. Just so they can uh, have a surprise 40th birthday party for him. <laughs> yes. on, when he turned 40, it's like, oh, my God, that is... That is so much planning and so much bullshit just for a birthday party. What just the fuck? Just for a birthday party. Uh, of course, you got Philkin Seven, and he's just he's just uh, Philkin Seven is, is is fantastic. One of my one of my favorite scenes in all of Adult Swim is is just that introductory scene with him, and and I just love the way that it's written. It's just written so intelligently. Yeah. Because, yeah. You know, like like at first you're like, you know, what's going on. And then you suddenly you get it and you're like, oh, that's really funny. And then they take that gag and they keep using it. And, and you know, that's that initial scene where, you know, well, do you want to go into it? Yeah, it's the scene where Harvey is first summoned to his office 
And then he comes up to Phil's desk, and Phil is like, stand over here. Sit over here, or stand over here. And he goes, and he goes to sit there, like, no, not there, there. Yeah. And then he, and then eventually Birdman's just like, okay, I'll just go sit on the table then. And then uh, Phil Gensteven just starts, uh, starts talking to him. What's brilliant about that is he has one eye, so his spatial awareness is completely fucked. It's completely off, you know, and you it's realize completely it in, off and everything. Specifically, that moment, you know, right after 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 Harvey fucking sits on the table, and he's like, "No, no, don't sit over there. Sit over there." And and he's like fucking pointing in a, in a completely other direction, and you're like, "Oh, oh!" And it all comes together. You're like. He's seeing everything to the left because he's has a, he has, he's missing an eye. Exactly. That's amazing. And they keep using that gag, but then they just go in just weird places with his character. I love how he just randomly shows up at times <laughs> at people's houses. <laughs> Cookies on dowels. Yes. <laughs> like, what the fuck is going on? Dangly parts. <laughs> and then, you know, later on, we get, of course, Bird Girl, and she is adorable. I oh, fucking love her. She is so sweet, and she she got her own spinoff recently, and I, I think awesome. that's great. She was a great character, and she added a lot to the later seasons. Oh, I love her. And especially being uh, the whole thing with her being Phil's daughter, but also being Bird Girl. Yes. And, and he's all trying to he, hit He's on trying to hit on her as Bird Girl because he doesn't realize. <laughs> and I love how they'll show shots like of her like next to each other at the exact same pose. <laughs> yeah, and he's <laughs> just like, no, totally not like my daughter at all. Doesn't remind me not one of my daughter. <laughs> it's so ridiculous. But uh, fucking Potamus. Yeah, Harry Hippopotamus is fucking amazing. He's like, did you get that thing I sent you? Did you get that? And he's always <sighs> that one fucking... episode where he's where he's Harvey's defense attorney, and he's like, <laughs> oh my. ladies of the gentlemen of the jury, did you <laughs> get did you get that thing? I sent you. I sent you. <laughs> it's just supposed to be like really compelling fucking testimony or whatnot. I love the running gags and I love how they take characters. And this is where we st we get into the more popular Hanna-Barbera properties. And yeah. you see Shaggy and Scooby getting tried be because they think that they're stoners. <laughs> yeah, they, they actually portray the entire gang as stoners. Basically, but then they're like, they later kind of explain it and they're like, you know, Velma's like, no. No, Shaggy and Scooby are just idiots. That's just how they are. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of hilarious just to hear Fred and uh, Daphne just talking shit about them like that. Just like, no, they're they're just idiots. I mean, this is just how they are. And and freaking Fred Flintstone is a is a mobster. Oh my god, that is such brilliant writing. Honestly, that I love is. the writing in that episode. It's really spot on. And and I like how in that episode he tries to get rid of Midor, who was uh, uh, originally the judge in the early episodes presiding over the criminal cases, yeah. whereas Mintok was introduced in a civil case, the first one. But Mintok pretty much becomes front and center when it comes to the judges in the show. He's yeah. like he's like the judge that gets the most actually airtime, you know. Yeah, after after uh after he takes uh Miter out, I like how Mintok just sort of takes over. And and he's honestly one of the breakout characters. Um, as we mentioned before. Yeah. And then like what, what and then the episode where there's the Flintstones and they're like, we come from the year of the future, two thousand two, and then and then Harvey just looks over at his calendar and it says two thousand four and just kinda <laughs> hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and they're talking about all these things oh that like God. at the time in the 60s when the Jetsons were produced would have been like w w were like futuristic ideas and they're just totally mundane things now. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> but moving along, yeah, Harvey Birdman is primo adult swim uh material, you know. It's also, primo. 
there's a video game that's done in the style of uh, of Ace Attorney. Yeah. And that is amazing. <laughs> Apparently, the gameplay is just identical. I want to play it. It's on Wii, PS2, and PSP, I think. Yeah. I don't know. You might be able to find it on their Steam uh, profile. Adult Swim has a Steam page, so. I should look yeah. it up. Yeah. But the next show is, of course, C-Lab 2021. And this has an interesting pedigree to it. It was originally done by 7030 Productions, and they helmed, they helmed all of that, and they also helmed Frisky Dingo. If you watch Frisky Dingo, you'll see some similarities to another certain animated show on FX, starring a certain John Benjamin. And also made by Adam Reed. Also made by Adam Reed, and that is, of course, Archer. Archer is one of my favorites, actually. I love the, the shit out of Archer. And what's funny is I'm watching C-Lab, okay? Yeah. And I'm noticing that the the animation and, and the general style of humor is just reminding me so much of Archer. It's pretty much the groundwork for Archer right there. And then there. I realized that it was the same creator. But but the link between that is, of course, Frisky Dingo. You have to have Frisky Dingo to kind of have Archer. Okay. Because in a, in a way, I think Archer was supposed to be kind of a spinoff from or it was going to be introduced into Frisky Dingo. But I, really? that, that never really happened. I like the, I, I like at, the least one I, at least I heard somewhere. I don't know if that's accurate, but I mean, that's I like, just what I heard. I like the one episode of Archer that's a Bob's Burgers crossover. Oh yeah, that's funny. I, I like that as well. <laughs> so so that that also means that Bob's Burgers is also part of C Labs canon. Yeah, isn't that isn't that something to think about? I love the the whole premise behind C Lab. I mean, again, it's taking an older show which was C Lab twenty twenty, and. Uh, they turn it into reboot it as as an adult animated show, just like they did with Space Ghost Coast to Coast, just like they did with Harvey Birdman. But uh, they use a lot more archival footage in this one, uh, at least early on in the first season. Once you get to the second season, they start using just the superimposed cutouts and they start using kind of the flash animation a little bit. And you'll see some uh, some of the footage show up. But they did also do a full episode which was an original episode of C-Lab 2020, and it was just redubbed with the current uh, vocal cast, you know, like That's with awesome. Eric Estrada and whatnot. But, yeah, C-Lab is... But at the end, it does go to shit, right? It does go to shit. It always goes to shit. Yeah, C-Lab, C-Lab blows up. always has to blow up. It has to blow up. That's like canon as far as i'm concerned <laughs> yeah every episode c-lab blows up everybody on board is totally incompetent except maybe dr quinn and dr quinn sometimes has his moments where he's just like <laughs> i mean he, he lets his uh he lets his uh, mind goes into go into his dick and that usually kind of fucks everybody over yeah it, it happens a little bit in the, some of the later seasons so it's interesting too when we were watching the dvd and i think the dvd had them in production order instead of their actual released order. Yeah, yeah, because the original release was the uh, FCC episode. The, 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 the pirate radio. Pirate radio one, yeah. yeah. And that's a hilarious episode. But I like how, you know, with the animation, you can actually, in some of those early episodes, you can see where they drew the Flash animation, which is very reminiscent of Archer over yeah. the archival footage. And it just sticks out like a sore thumb, but it's awesome. Yeah. I, I love the whole quality <laughs> to it. Um, again, the non sequitur, you know, more experimental type humor, a lot of awkward silences. Yeah. And, and, and I think one of my favorite characters is the fucking captain. Yeah, Captain Murphy. Captain who un- Murphy. Unfortunately, was. Howling mad! Unfortunately, <laughs> was. Unfortunately, was uh, replaced because the voice actor that did him passed away during Aww. production. So, yeah, he's in the show up to about halfway through season three. So, 
and then he's replaced by another uh, by another captain by the name of Tex. He's like this uh, football coach type character, you know, Texas football coach. Okay. So yeah, it, it kind of goes a completely different way after that. It's pretty much a different show. But yeah, Sea Lab is important to Adult Swim. It has the pedigree going all the way up to Archer and everything. And seriously, if you're into Archer, you need to check out Sea Lab. I mean, you will see the the beginnings of that show. You really yeah. will. It's great. But that comes to another show that is kind of closely related to that pedigree, and that is the quite possibly one of my all-time favorites of the early Adult Swim lineup. And that's Home Movies. Home Movies is great. Created by Lauren Bouchard, who would go on to create such shows as uh, Lucy, Daughter of the Devil and Bob's Burgers. And this is the one of the shows that actually re- act- does have a cohesive narrative. Yeah. Um, and it just takes place in a realistic setting. But yeah, just but, the shenanigans that the characters it, get up to. It's also created by Brendan Small, who would go on to create Metalocalypse. Yeah. And, and would also form Death Clock, which would actually go out on tour and everything. Fuck yeah. And Brendan Small he, himself has even been, uh, he's been a guest spot in uh, in Bob's Burgers before. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, so he's done some other work with Adult Swim. H. John Benjamin actually did, uh, it, uh, shows up a few times in Aqua Teen. And he does, And yeah. other shows too, doesn't he? He was the devil in Lucy, Daughter of the Devil. Yeah, and, and that was a great performance. He he was pretty much like if uh, Satan was like a was like a Cosby like dad. He even has the Cosby sweater and everything. <laughs> it's so ridiculous. H. John Benjamin is a national treasure. I just I love his monotone voice and just how he interacts with everything. And and, and what's really great is to see the the relationship, the dynamic between his character Coach McGurk and Brendan Small. Uh, I guess named after his voice actor yeah, and the creator. Br- yeah, just Brendan Small. So. Yeah. I want to think that this has kind of an autobiographical quality and this is like what his childhood was like. Yeah, but it also has a little bit of an animation pedigree as well because it comes from, if you're a 90s kid and you grew up watching Comedy Central or the Comedy Channel as it was back then, you'll probably remember Dr. Katz. And uh, John Benjamin was actually Dr. Katz's son in that series. And it had the same squiggle vision as the first season of, of home movies. So and, and also Jonathan Katz, who played Doctor Katz, he's Melissa's father, Eric, in, in uh, this show. Okay, yeah, he's a yeah. funny character. too. Oh, he's a great character. Like his his interactions with uh, with John Benjamin are classic because it has that, of course, that pedigree going back to Comedy Central. Yeah, and so. It- H. John Benjamin and Brendan Small play, play so well off each other, not only in the the relationship between Coach McGurk and Brendan, which is... But also is Jason and Brendan. Also Jason and Brendan. Yeah. And, 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 you know, those are the relationships that are honestly like the crux of the show. Uh, and, and really, I think sp- specifically between Coach McGurk and Brendan is just so much fun. Now, if you notice, you'll notice that Jason and Brendan rarely ever interact with each other, if any, at all. And that's because John Benjamin wanted it that way. He was like, I don't want to be talking to myself. Yeah. It feels weird. So <laughs> I, th- I think if you look throughout his work, you'll see that he rarely ever does speak to a character that is voiced by him. J- so you mean between Jason and, and between McGurk. Jason and McGurk? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Between Jason and McGurk. Yeah. You'll never see them really. You'll see them in the same room, but you'll never see them talk to each other. That makes sense. Directly. That would that just would be kind of awkward. But yeah, I like them. And then, of course, they also play Walter and Perry. And sometimes apparently in the commentary, I think they mentioned that they weren't even always aware of which character they were playing. 
Well, they're both basically the same character. They're both Walter and Perry. They're, they're always together, and it's kind of cute. I love how they're like they're obviously you know they're obviously gay for each other. I mean, they, yeah, and and it's interesting how they represent that. It's show. just portrayed as it is. They yeah, don't. Yeah. A lot of shows portray homosexuality or uh, you know just the LGBT community as kind of the butt of jokes, especially in back in the era. early in the early two thousands, especially lot, then this era in particular. So it's nice yeah. to see a show where it's kind of just there. If anything, what's played for laughs more is the fact that as these young children, they seem to have you know their their their, their romantic life figured out. Yeah. The, yeah. I mean, I think that's really more of the joke with those two, but they're just great. They're like, I want to live in a house together with you. <laughs> oh, Perry. <laughs> and, and it's just great that, that to think Perry, that they, come dance with me. That they probably swapped roles all the time. <laughs> no, yeah, they did. They pretty much went back and forth. That's awesome. But yeah, Home Movies is an important show to Adult Swim. Watch the first season, especially. There's lots yeah. of great music, you know, done by Brendan Small. And there's like some great performances and even some performances by people like Paula Poundstone. And I think uh, also a lot of the Bob's Burgers cast shows up. There. Yeah, but Paula Poundstone was replaced by uh, by Janine Dutillo. Janine Dutillo, she, yeah. she played uh, Jean in uh, Daria. Yeah. But we're going to go ahead and move on to the last also show. Paula Rule 34. Paula, oh my God. Jesus Christ. The, the final show the big one that we were saving is quite possibly one of adult swim's most lasting cultural contribution was bringing this show to western audiences and that's cowboy bebop cowboy bebop very important show to anime like i, I it's the greatest anime ever made it's perfection to me i i can't find anything really wrong with it the dub is on point the characters are fucking perfect you pretty much know what show you're watching from the minute that the the intro plays, you know exactly what you're getting into. I, I've been watching a lot of Cowboy Bebop lately for a very particular reason. Yeah. But um, I like how, uh, yeah, like you said, it's, it's right on point. I can't find anything wrong with this anime. If there is such a thing as a perfect anime, I, I, it's this. It's Cowboy Bebop. And you're saying this not even having seen the entire 25 episodes. No, just seeing, you know, like, like you know, the first few episodes and um, I, I'm in love with it already. It's right up there for me at, at a slightly higher quality than even Full Metal Alchemist. It is. It's better than Full Metal Alchemist. It's, Bru- leagues, it's leagues ahead, and it holds up so well. You know, uh, well, you know, and, and, and I'm saying that, you know, with the, the manga storyline flesh, the Brotherhood storyline. But, I mean, I mean, my favorite is always going to be Naruto. Yeah, of course. But I can admit that there are some, uh, some anime that have a better cinematic quality to them. And and right there at the top for me is Cowboy Bebop. Uh, the characters are just written fantastically. Uh, I love how the very first episode, the pilot, is even directed, and it just completely sets the tone for the series throughout. Yeah, and th- I want to remark on the setting of the show. The setting is in 2077, which is not that far away from us right now. We're closer to that than... Then we are to like the 90s by this point. Well, hey, we're in the year of C-Lab. Yes, we are in the year of C-Lab 2021. <laughs> this is the year of C-Lab, guys. But the way that interstellar travel and just life on all these other different asteroid uh, colonies and whatnot and all these other different planets, it's so fascinating because it feels so real. Like this is 
very much how it feels like how it might be later on if human beings make it to inter- interstellar travel. And and with us, you know, not having fully colonized the universe, but you know, or the galaxy, but just fucking like getting out there, you know, it definitely has that wild west feel because yeah. you live in it you live in an in, in a area with you know no rules or whatever which is interesting compared to for instance star trek which already has like a galactic federation set up and and here there's not anything of that and this is probably maybe even a little bit more realistic i might say yeah there's not really like a galactic federation of any kind that's unifying anything i mean every every space and every place that they go to it inhabits its own little region it has its own politics it has its own you know government and whatnot yeah and when we reach out you know i think that's how it's gonna be you know if if we ever do yeah i love that that cowboy bebop just has the the it it is a a space western in the truest sense of the term i mean you've got star wars which is considered like the the classic example of space western but this is actually with it being a western you've got cowboys and outlaws straight up there's even an episode where spike pretty much meets his character taken to his logical conclusion it's literally a dude that's exactly like him fights like him shoots like him but he's dressed like a cowboy and he's riding a horse even rides horses into buildings and shit. That's amazing. It's the episode where the teddy bear bomber makes his presence. Yeah. Who is going to be in the it's confirmed to be in the live action show that's coming up. Yeah, Netflix is making a live action version of this as John Cho as as Spike. Fuck yeah. Which is perfect. I mean, you had a Japanese anime have a white person as its main protagonist and now on the flip side you have this American live action show and they have an Asian man as the as the main character now. So it's kind of like a little bit of a re- inverse there. It really is. I love that. Yeah. Uh, that that uh, Netflix show really seems to be coming together. I, I, I'm really I, I watched that. It. I watched that new version of the intro, and oh, my Lord, I was hyped. It was like, Matt Perot. It's like Twinkle, Twinkle Toes Murdoch. It's like, oh, the teddy bear bomber. And, and it's like, oh, that one God character. It's like, oh, shit, they're all here. And then Vicious. It's like, oh, yeah, man. I mean, that just blew me away. Yeah, and I'm even, so so psyched for it. Even better than than Death Note. Oh, wait. It's, I think it's going to be way better than Death Note. Death Note. Like, well, okay. I'm not talking about period. the Netflix series. That's, that's oh, you mean like that like goes the, without saying. But yeah, you're talking about the anime. Oh, the yeah, anime. Why years think ahead is even is even better than you know, uh, which I, is another anime that I consider to be of a high quality. At least um, up till at least, at least up till L dies. At least up until L dies. After yeah. that, it does feel a little bit rushed. Yeah, definitely. It, it never was the same after L died. Yeah, but I mean, Cowboy Bebop. You just can't talk about Adult Swim without Cowboy Bebop. Kind of like how you can't. I mean, Cowboy Bebop is to the anime part of Adult Swim what Family Guy was to the comedy side of Adult Swim, which, by the way, ended its 18 year run wow. on Adult Swim. Think about that. There was only two years of Adult Swim that didn't have Family Guy involved with it. That's crazy. That's insane. And that, that's something that trips me out, dude. Next time I watch Adult Swim, it's going to be so fucking different. Yeah. I mean, I, I grew up back in the day where it was like Futurama, then Family Guy, and then American Dad, and then they'd show like Aqua Teen, and then they show Sea Lab and whatnot, go on and on and on. You and know what's interesting? I like how, you know, I or, uh, you said Adult Swim debuted in September 2011 or yeah. sorry 2001 <laughs> 2001 2001, yeah. 2001 
that's interesting because I, I really feel like the event of 9-11 kind of really had an effect on comedy. Yeah, and this is very much the ripples of that effect. I right think here. so. I think a lot of the, the shows of Adult Swim were really impacted by that. Yeah. And here in a little bit, we're going to take a break and we're going to talk about the actual cultural and historical impact of Adult Swim and also how it pretty much influenced the the uh, creation of this show. All right. So but, but I want to I want to mention one thing because we mentioned it last time. Yeah. Cowboy Bebop. Open world game. That would be perfect. An open world ver- Cowboy Bebop game. Oh, man, it'd be like. It'd be like a grittier No Man's Sky, except not so much exploration. You know? Yeah, I mean, you don't have to make the, the, the universe nearly as big because that's that's not the point of what you're trying to do. You don't need to make a procedurally generated universe, but make something of an open world scale, a huge map with plenty of planets to go between. Maybe it doesn't even necessarily have to follow the Cowboy Bebop storyline, but just take place in the universe where you like have... Maybe, maybe you can create your own ship and put together your own team, create right. your own team members. Like, that would be awesome. Yeah. You could even do an MMO, to be honest. Yeah, or, I mean, and you, you could have people be like the space truckers. You can have like people play like... Uh, like have allegiance to different planets and whatnot. That oh, would be interesting. Fuck yeah, that dude. would be very interesting. That would be so interesting. Or if you can't, if you can't get the licensing rights to do to do a Cowboy Bebop, then just fucking like do something that's definitely inspired by it. Yeah. and it's obvious. Yeah. <laughs> but we're gonna go ahead and take a break real quick, and when we get back, like I said, we're going to talk about the cultural and historical impact of of Adult Swim in the last twenty years. So stick around, folks. We'll be back. All right, attention swimmers, or swimmer. Got some announcements to make here. Sundays at 10, it's all kids out of the pool for adult swim. You can't just decide to go swimming whenever you want. That's when there'll be new, count them new shows. New shows, oh movies. Who went wee wee in my canteen? Aqua Teen Hunger Force. Look at my freaking car. A brag show. You fell. Um, your father and race were. But. Harvey Bergman, attorney at law. Z Lab 2021. You broke the monitor and you're dead. Happy. Cowboy Bebop. Cowboy Bebop. And Space Ghost Coast to Coast. This is Willie Nelson. No kids under 17, though. So that's new, too. Sunday at 10. And we are back. And in this segment, we are going to discuss certain events in the history of Adult Swim and the cultural impact that it had. And the first one I want to talk about is, of course, something that's very important to this podcast, of course. Now, back in the day, Adult Swim would do April Fool's Day pranks. Like, there was one time where they showed the entire Aqua Teen Hunger Force movie, but it was just a tiny little screen in the corner, and they just showed the block as normal. Like, they, yeah, they, they advertised it that they were going to show it, and then that, that's what they did. There was also an April Fool's Day prank where they showed all of what they had a perfect hair forever, and it was all, like, vapor-waved out and, you know, all, like, VHS and everything. But what they did one year is they aired The Room. The Room! On Adult Swim. Tommy Wiseau's The Room. And that was the first time that I had ever actually seen this movie. Oh, what a story, Bo. <clears throat> yeah, indeed. What a story. And 
it was censored, of course. I mean, they had big old black bars over everything. And no, they did not show ass to sell movie, Greg. Damn it. They that, did not that, show ass to sell movie. Adult Swim, you dropped the ball then. You should have shown ass to sell movie. God Definitely. damn it. But that was your introduction to the room, right? Yeah, that was my introduction to to the room and Tommy was so because after that they aired a an episode of Tim and Eric Awesome Show, which we'll talk about here in a second. And they had Tommy so direct an episode of it and actually act on it. And it is classic. It's actually pretty great. It's, I like that it's episode. It's amazing. I mean, it's just like oink, oink, I'm oink, the oink, oink. I'm the pig man. Oink, 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 oink. oh man he's so amazing and i mean that's pretty much what led me to start this podcast you know initially it was because i really not only did i want to talk about movies in general i wanted to talk about the room that's why we did it that first season very central to us here at the podcast i mean with tommy Wiseau being the patron saint of the podcast him and and sistero they're both the patron saints let's be fair yeah. So, I mean, anybody that listens to us regularly knows that we we love to reference the room. It's it's very near and dear to our hearts, and so we kind of owe it to Adult Swim. Yeah. I mean, Adult Swim is pretty much responsible for this podcast being a thing. I think that they're kind of responsible for the room becoming like a cult classic. Yeah. I mean, it was already kind of picking up steam in the Midnight Movie thing, and also he was starting the tour with the movie, but... Yeah, Adult Swim is pretty much the breakthrough for The Room. Yeah. I mean, it's very important, and I'm kind of surprised that they didn't really touch upon that in The Disaster Artist. That that would have been, like, a perfect little segue, you know? Like, maybe maybe have somebody play, like, uh, Mike, La- like Mike Lazo and Keith Crawford, maybe, you know? Mm. That would have been interesting, you know? Like, just, just have it, maybe even as another, like, after-credit th- scene, even though that, that one was perfect with Tommy, but, you know... But yeah, I mean, Adult Swim is responsible for introducing The Room into my life, and therefore I got to introduce that to Robert and to you and everything. So Well, I'd seen well, it. Well, yeah, you've seen it before, but I introduced it to Robert. He hadn't and, even seen it before. And I very likely was aware of it because of Adult Swim in some way, because my friend Steven showed it to me, and he watches a lot of YouTube stuff. And like I said, I think, I think it became originally uh, very popular a few years after its release. Because of Adult Swim. Yeah, exactly. And another show that had a real resurgence due to Adult Swim, and we re- we referenced it earlier, it's Family Guy. Yeah. Family Guy was originally canceled off of Fox News back in the day. And initially, Adult Swim picked up the syndicated rights to the first two or three seasons. And just by way of showing that they actually started to kind of see an uptick in DVD sales. And that's eventually what led to family guy making its return, which was kind of a historic moment in its own right. Yeah. And ever since then it had been a fixture on adult swim. Like, honestly, I, I don't think I like ever really watched any new episodes of it on Fox. I always just waited to watch new episodes on adult swim. That makes sense. And that's kind of the same thing with American Dad. You know, I was also introduced to American Dad by way of Adult Swim. So, I mean, and and I remember Adult Swim, they kind of did a uh, thing where they showed the pilot both on Fox News and then they showed it on Adult Swim the next night. Did they show Cleveland Show? Yeah, they showed Cleveland Show as well. 
They yeah. showed that there was a lot of interesting like syndicated comedy shows that that Fox didn't do that they picked up, you know, like Mission Hill and uh, Baby Blues and whatnot. But yeah, Family Guy ended its 18 year run on Adult Swim recently. It was a big deal. They they even made a special bumper after the episode, which was just like with all the characters saying goodbye to Family Guy. Yeah, and it, it was kind of sad, but. You know, it had to happen. I mean, they were moving over to Hulu. I mean, it's it's, it's a Disney property now. So, you know, that was going to happen one way or the other. One way or the other. Yeah. But the next thing is Adult Swim during Christmas time. I mean, I have so many nostalgic uh, moments with Adult Swim at Christmas because the Christmas episodes of each show are just so primo. <laughs> They have a little bit of everything, man. You have Squid Billies, you know, they, they take Santa hostage and start ter- terrorizing him. That's amazing. You know, Aqua Teen has a couple of Christmas episodes. They have one where uh, it's called Mail Order Bride. It's on, yep, the yeah, it's with- on the second volume. Like, that. that's a good one. And it also has a, an Easter Bunny episode, or Easter Bunny of the Dead, I think it's called, or something like that. But no, no, it's T-Shirt of the Dead. That's what it's called. And it has uh, Meatwad get this cursed uh, T-shirt from uh, an Egyptian uh, from an Egyptian exhibit, like Shake stole it, and he summons Santa Claus and the Easter Bunny and also a giant Easter egg. And everything. It, it's fucking classic. I mean, there's so many great, there's so many great Christmas episodes on Adult Swim. Like, and, they, and of course they would show all the Family Guy Christmas episodes, and they would show the Futurama Christmas episodes with uh, Killer Santa and everything robot santa and i mean there was also certain themes that they would do like there was one year where they just pretty much had it like a qvc telethon in between shows like they were just they were just selling uh, merchandise you know Mm -hmm. even some limited edition stuff that i think that you can't even find anymore like like i think they had a limited pressing of the final seasons of space ghost that they eventually released and it was specifically for that, and it was only uh, available for a limited time. Wow. Also, that, that's why you can't really find the 12-ounce mouse DVD anywhere. It's because and usually you find it is almost 80 or $100. It's because it was very limited in its release. But wow. Yeah. But yeah, we, we referenced The Room as an uh, April Fool's Day prank. And one year, they interrupted The Room to bring back the original lineup of Toonami. Now, eventually, that got a lot of buzz because there was a lot of nostalgia for Toonami at the time. And there still is, but especially at that time. And they they went ahead and acquired the reacquired the rights to the properties and the rights to all the anime, and they brought it back, and that became their Saturday anime block. And then, yeah, bringing back Toonami on Adult Swim was probably the best choice they could have made because now you can show all the anime uncensored. Exactly. We got Naruto Shippuden, and, and and we also got you know un- uncensored One Piece. One Piece. Yeah, we also got shows like Parasite. We got shows like Michiko and Hachin. Like, I mean, we got Dragon Ball Super that was playing on, That's I think that's still playing on Toonami right Fuck now. Yeah. And they also showed the Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood. Isn't Samurai Jack on Toonami? Yeah, they showed the final season of Samurai Jack on Toonami. Yeah, the final season, which is was actually, like, kicked up a notch in terms of mature content. Yeah, it, it was made specifically for, for. Toonami, the, the new version of Toonami. And it really thrives. I, if, if, you look at the, if you look at the animation differences between the final season and, like, some of the early episodes... It's actually really cool, like how much they upgraded it, especially when they redid that one scene yeah. that was that intro scene where he he goes away into the future and then he comes back. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that was really awesome. But yeah, it was a really really uh, 
it was really, really primo move to bring back Toonami. And, and I was really excited when it came back in. I watched it for quite a bit, and it had a, and it's still going yeah. right now. It's still ongoing. Now, there's an interesting little piece of history involving Adult Swim in the Atlanta area where there was a bomb scare that happened because this guerrilla marketing group that was just doing some stuff for William Street, they made these little light bright uh placards and whatnot that had Ignignot giving the middle finger. And they put them around Atlanta in various spots, and people started calling them in as bomb threats. What the fuck? They, they straight up <laughs> shut down the entire Atlanta metro area, pretty much, downtown Atlanta, and had the Atlanta police, like, blowing up these fucking Ignignot fucking placards. It was such a clusterfuck, and it actually led to one of the vice presidents of Cartoon Network resigning and everything. Like, they, like it, it led to a shakeup with Adult Swim and with Cartoon Network. I, it, something that they're still kind of feeling the impact. So, of. so what about Moon and Nights just makes you think, oh, yeah, bombs. I don't know. People are fucking stupid. I mean, it was still very much a post-9-11 thing as well. People yeah. were very jumpy. It was barely just a few years removed from that. I mean, I don't know. If I had watched a clip of uh, the Plutonians, th th that seems a little bit more threatening. <laughs> yeah, the Plutonians. Yeah, they're very threatening, actually. Yeah, and we shall melt you. <laughs> in the Meltatarium. <laughs> Go in there and become melted. <laughs> now, they eventually started showing live action shows on Adult Swim. And the first two live action shows were interesting. Of course, the aforementioned Tim and Eric Awesome Show, great job. Yeah, Tim and Eric Awesome Show is is uh, it just it just really has this uh, like the other Adult Swim shows that we mentioned. It really has this experimental quality to it. You know, it, I, it, it feels like uh, public access television. And a lot of it is yeah. purposely kind of made to be like that. But it's also kind of like a block of programming from Channel 5 from the Tom Goes to the Mayor universe, okay. which I don't know if you've ever seen Tom Goes to the Mayor. That's mm -mm. that's actually very important uh, viewing if you're into Tim Tim and Eric. like, And also Tim and Eric, like Tim Heidecker, he did a, a show called Decker where he's pretty much this uh, undercover like uh, secret agent for the CIA and everything. It's totally ridiculous. Like, yeah. Yeah. And... They also had Saul the Mole Man, which was more of an episodic show and featured a geologist, or as you call it, geologist, named by the name of Saul. And he is part of a part of a geologist team that goes into the center of the earth, and they find a bunch of mole men there. And he becomes the de facto leader of the team after the team is killed. Mm -hmm. And he has to pretty much navigate the world therein. And he falls in love, he saves the day. And it's very, very unique. It's very, it has a very put together vibe, not unlike Mystery Science Theater 3000. Okay. You know? Yeah, I mean, you'll see the Molmans uh, costumes, and it's like very obviously a bunch of odds and ends put together and whatnot. So that's, that was actually really cool. And that led to a lot of other interesting live action shows like Delocated. Uh, let's see what else, like Tim and Eric Bedtime Stories and uh, Black Jesus. Black Jesus. <laughs> if you haven't seen Black Jesus, check that out. Uh, That's by the same people that made Boondocks. It is so awesome. So wholesome, even. And we can't talk about Adult Swim at all without talking about the rise of Rick and Morty. 
Oh, man, Rick and Morty is another one of my favorites. And yes, I know, there's the toxic fan base. And yes, we all know you don't have to have an IQ of 150 to watch Rick and Morty. <laughs> but it is an intelligently written show. I like how it regularly subverts narrative and expectations. They try out different styles, especially in, you know, the last couple of seasons, uh, like like the vast the, the Vata Vap Acid episode. Yeah, yeah. But the thing about Rick and Morty is... is I have a few problems with it. For one, Rick is extremely overpowered. I, I don't know if they've nerfed him in the recent episodes, but if they haven't, they really need to. And here's the reason why. I feel that in the beginning of season three, they kind of, you know, dropped the ball on in a narrative sense because they had Rick in prison, right? They, they had him turn himself in. It was a very emotional scene and whatnot at the end of the second season. And then at the beginning of the season, he's in prison. They're trying to get information out of, and it sets some, it, it sets some stories in motion for later episodes. But he ends up taking out both the Galactic Federation, which had taken over Earth by that point, and the Council of Ricks all at once. And, the and, it's, yeah. and it's, yeah, I guess the setup is all right, but... Isn't this something that they should have saved maybe for the end of season four or like the end of season five, maybe? I feel like they should have really built up to that a, a little more. At the know? same time, with the elimination of the Citadel of Ricks and its current form and the uh, the Galactic Federation, they're able to kind of focus more on episodes that were character arcs and, and, and more standalone episodes so to speak, in, in the you know latter couple seasons. And let's not forget that one of the best episodes in the series actually came after, you know, the the destruction of the Council of Rex and the the the, the Tells from the Citadel episode. Oh, that is actually an interesting episode that goes into many, many different angles as to what happened with the Citadel. And it, it even has just kind of a look into the internal politics of everything and you know like, it even has its own form of capitalism. I mean, you would think that Ricks would be smart enough not to devolve into that shit, but then again, they made a Council of Ricks in the first fucking place, so... Man, same... Or was it... Man, same story. Same story. Morty's killing everything. Mortys. Morty's killing Mortys. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, needless to say, Rick and Morty has also kind of changed the change the game when it comes to animation and everything and it is the best of adult animation i have my problems with it but it's not enough to make me turn my back on it and i love rick and it, morty it, it's very important in the current pop cultural landscape it know? really is and 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 like i said i mean i, I think that a lot of the the situations uh and, and especially the the writing of the show you know it does um it, it it is intelligent, and and I do appreciate that, and and I love the uh, the science fiction setting. Um, Rick is not someone to be idolized. If you idolized him, you missed the point. No, not at all. Not at all. But no. he is a lovable character, uh, and and I like how even the last season kind of plays off of the toxic relationship between him and Morty, and you know the fact that in a lot of ways they enable each other. Oh, so. definitely. Yeah, I've, I've at least seen as much. I've seen a couple of episodes from the recent season, and. Also, Christopher Lloyd as Rick it was fucking oh, amazing. Fuck yeah, man, that was a great idea. And and one of the kids from was it Stranger Things or from It? It, it chapter two or whatever. Like who, who was it? I can't remember. 
who played Morty in that. But yeah, Christopher Lloyd as Rook is just perfect. I'm 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 so glad that we were able to get that, even just for a little bit. That makes sense because Rick and Morty originally started out as a parody called Doc and Marty. Yeah. So it, it kind of comes full circle there, even if Christopher Lloyd is a little bit older than we probably would have would expect Rick to be. Yeah. Yeah. But finally, I want to talk about the debut of Metalocalypse and Death Clock and also the Adult Swim music program. I mean, Adult Swim has long had a history of pushing music music and musical artists like for at least the last 15 years. And one of the things that they did is they had this show called Metalocalypse, which was about one of the preeminent death metal bands of all time, Death Clock. At least in that in that universe, it's like the entire universe just surrounds Death Clock. Even the world economy is dependent upon Death Clock making records and everything. But it's a great show. It was canceled unfairly, I feel. And it, but it's getting a movie sooner or later that's going to be on Adult Swim. And it kind of led to Brendan Small actually making a band and calling it Death Clock and going out on tour and they released an album that is the best-selling death metal album of all time wow yeah it's best-selling of all time i mean i don't think it's been surpassed since then and also adult swim they push artists like mf doom you know may he rest in peace i mean say the man's name in all caps (laughs) that's right also mc chris who brought nerdcore to the to the fray yeah, like, he he uh, he showed up in uh, I remember Aqua Teen and also C Lab. C Lab, he's yeah. Hesh in C Lab, and he was also in a few other things. Fucking as well. Hesh, fucking Hesh, that <laughs> corny little bastard. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, if you're if you are a musical artist or even an audiovisual artist, they have the Off the Air series. They they really like to push different types of art. I mean, they, they even have a gaming company, which by the way, you should totally do a bonus round on. It's Adult Swim Gaming. Yeah, that's an idea. Yeah, like I said, I'd love to get into that uh, Phoenix Wright game. Or the Phoenix Wright game, that, <laughs> that Harvey Birdman, Harvey Birdman game. Phoenix Wright game. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. The Ace Attorney game. Yeah, definitely. You definitely want to get into that. But anyway, we're gonna go ahead and start wrapping up. I mean, what are your final thoughts on Adult Swim? Oh man, it is uh, obviously a lot of Adult Swim is, is is are not just classics, but just integral to millennial culture in general. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it it pretty much influenced a lot of my humor. It influenced oh, it, it, it influ- memes, if you really think about it. Like the the, yeah. the the style of 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 memes that are most common with with millennials and and even the Zoomer crowd. You know, is is you know with with the just completely absurdist type humor and yeah, it it, do, it does kind of have that little uh, absurd quality to it. I I agree. Yeah. And I, I just feel like it really set the landscape for comedy, for animation, and just for pop culture and nerd culture in general. And also also a nihilistic quality. A very nihilistic. <laughs> it's it's nihilism like incarnate. Yeah, exactly. Like straight up. I mean, that that's kind of why, you know, Rick Sanchez is kind of a logical conclusion there. To that. And it's kind of only logical that Rick and Morty would be like the advent of the new era of Adult Swim. That makes you know? a lot of sense, And actually. Adult Swim is still going strong to this day. I mean, I don't watch it nearly as much, but, I mean, it's still there. It still has an impact, and it still has influence on people's lives. So, like, I, I'm glad that Adult Swim is out there. It provided almost like a counterculture for nerds and hipsters and whatnot. 
So, I mean, it's, it's important. And definitely, I mean, it, it's, it's okay. Even if you're older than 18 to 34 to still watch it. I mean, it's got good shit. I mean, adult animation in general is not in, in a great state, but Adult Swim just still continues to be, you know, just at the forefront of it. So, with that said, Ash, what's coming up with Collateral Gaming? Uh, well, we had just recorded our season finale two-part episode on the Quantic Dream Games, Heavy Rain, and Beyond Two Souls, uh, but not in that order. We are also going to be getting into Collateral Gaming Season 4 here very soon, uh, starting in October with the release of Metroid Dread, and of course our Halloween special on Outlast. So stay tuned for those. You can find Collateral Gaming uh, wherever you listen to your podcast, wherever you listen to Collateral Cinema, and uh, yeah. And also stay tuned for Season 5 of Collateral Cinema. We are starting off the spooky season with Necromantic, the Jorg Butgerite classic. If you're into that sort of thing, you're definitely going to want to listen to that. And we're going to be joined by Stu from Stu World Order to talk about Scream on our second episode. And then our first at the movie episode of the season is going to be Halloween Kills. And we've been waiting a year for that. COVID took that from us last year. It's not going to take that from us this year. And we're probably just going to watch it on Peacock, honestly. We're, we're just probably going to do that. Yeah, and, and uh, we are talking about Cowboy Bebop the movie, by the way. Yeah. Uh, that's that's what I was starting hinting at, hinting at earlier, and then I, I totally forgot about it. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's that was another reason for us kind of watching some Cowboy Bebop and being able to talk about it. So, yeah. Uh, that's coming sometime later next season. And honestly, we might do a Collateral Cinema Director's Cut on that month whenever we do that episode where we review the original series. That's so, a good idea. Yeah, the original 25-episode series. So it'll give us another excuse to sit down and watch Cowboy Bebop. So, hell yeah. But... You can find Collateral Cinema on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Check us out on Patreon. We have full-length feature commentaries on movies. Uh, we might have new com new content coming very soon. We really need to get somebody to actually take over the Patreon and really kind of guide it to where it needs to be. So uh, we're going to be talking about that amongst ourselves very soon. Um... We we're, may have more uh, director's cut episodes uh, focusing on uh, do, doing commentaries as well. So Yes, we're going to have director's cuts with, with uh, free commentaries. That will be coming free. very soon. And also find us on Spotify. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, YouTube, iHeartRadio, and wherever else you get your podcasts. And with that said, I'm Bo Maddox. And I'm Smashley Pantsler. And this was Collateral Cinema Director's Cut and Skull.
Collateral Cinema is a Collateral Media podcast. All music and movie clips are owned by the respective creators and are used for educational purposes only. Please don't sue us. We're poor.